welcome to Health's Kitchen, the podcast that talks all things health, safety, and performance when it comes to restaurants and the food service industry. I'm Aaron, kinesiologist, former dishwasher, server, bartender, and I will be guiding us through this journey as I connect with industry professionals, health experts, and anyone who has a good story in the food service industry. Hey, we made it. Episode two of the Health Kitchen podcast. And I am really excited for today's episode because we're talking all about ergonomics. And today's guest really knows a lot about ergonomics. Now, ergonomics is usually about how we set up workspaces to prevent injuries and to promote performance. And I do a lot of this during my workday, and I thought I would just share with you a little tip when it comes to setting up your workstation. I was chatting with Ricardo Garcia, chef, last week on the show, and just wanted to remind you that if you are working in one place throughout the whole day where you're not moving around too much, you're pretty stationary, a really great way to get a little bit of movement in to help, you know, change those positions in your structures to feel a little bit better so you don't get all tight and stuck in place is just to bring in a little box, block of wood, whatever it may be, a step stool that you can put one foot up on while you work and then switch to standing on the other foot while you work. So just put one foot up, then the other one up, switch every half hour or so, or maybe every 15 minutes. And it's just a really great way to get a little bit of a change of position. And it keeps your structures from just holding one position where they lose blood flow, they become all tight, they start to get really lazy, and we start to get into those bad postures. So that's a really simple way that you can get in and just help you have a little bit less discomfort during your day. So all you got to do is get a block of wood, something really simple, a footstool, whatever it is, something that isn't in the way, and just switch between it as you stand in place. So that is the first little appetizing tip that I am going to be giving you with this podcast. And each week you're going to get different ones from me or other industry experts. But without further ado... Let's start talking about today's guest. Let's get into the main course or entree, as some people would call it, of the podcast with our next guest interview. My next guest goes by the name of Ben Arpey. And I was really excited to have him on because not only does he have six years experience in the food service industry, he's also a kinesiologist like me. We went to school together, we know each other quite well, I actually helped get him his first restaurant job, and we talk all things when it comes to ergonomics for working in a restaurant, what's possible and what isn't possible when it comes to working in a restaurant, and how you can sometimes become a little invested with the regulars who come to your food service job every day. Let's go listen in.
because we're having a good time. So, uh, so yeah, so we're getting into this conversation today uh, with my friend Ben, talking about restaurant health, safety, and performance as usual. And uh, how's it going? It's going well. Pretty Finish good. Shift. Ready to go on to the next shift, you know. Nice. Uh, do you want to take a second to talk about what you do and uh, go from there? Yeah. Yeah, so... My name is Ben Arby. I am a kinesiologist full-time. I am also a bartender part-time. I originated in the bar scene after I got out of university. Actually, I got my first job from Aaron, who convinced his employer to take me on at a pub, where I worked as a host, and then a dishwasher, and then a cook, and then a prep cook, and then a server, and then a bartender, and then a manager. Because with restaurants, again, it's if you work hard and you put the hours in, generally stuff will happen. Uh, I've been there for six years now. I started full-time as kinesiologist two years ago, so I cut my hours significantly back. I now work Friday, Saturday night bar shifts, just the classics, you know, 5.30 to 2.30s. Yeah. Enjoying the late night rush. Yeah, I definitely had a part in you getting that first restaurant job, and I'm sorry for exposing you to the industry. Uh, that's a good way of putting it, but... Um, my sleep suffers because of you, right? Yeah, it's all my fault. It's all my fault. Um, but it, it, it's interesting because we're both kinesiologists. We're both working in occupational health in different ways a little bit. And, but we've also both worked in this industry. And you've actually been better at embracing the industry than me, I think, in a lot of ways. Um, because you're much better at doing those late nights. I think you thrive in the establishment you're in compared to how well I did there. Um, comparably, um, I generally worked the quietest shifts, which was Sunday morning because I enjoyed being there when no one else uh, wanted to get up that early. So that was always interesting. But uh, yeah, so I guess uh, where do we get into this? Well, I want to say it's like 100% on that kind of difference in you and me. Well, Aaron, you are basically the perfect breakfast server. <laughs> like to get in, start at 6 a.m., yep. get everything done and be done by 2 so you can actually have a day. For me, it was always nice to have that full day of activity and then get to work for five to make a little bit more money on a little more interesting people, actually get to kind of live up this life and this party, whatever that could be. And then, yeah, 2.30, you felt like you are actually done a whole day, get to crash, whether that was hopefully at home, but sometimes in your car, if you had an open the next morning, then so be it. But yeah, uh, to start off today, I would... Love to hear what you have to say, but really, I would love to talk about just on the ergonomics of working in a bar, working in a restaurant, working in a kitchen. Let's get During my full-time job, a lot of the stuff I do is ergonomic assessments of people in offices or people in like factories. So I'll go in and talk about all these little nice movements you can do to make things better. And they sit in their desk and they listen and go, oh yeah, here's all these things. But you got to realize so much of restaurant work, like kitchen or bartending especially, so much of it is this awkward reaching, this moving into, we can't make it picture perfect. It's how pretty does it look that we have to hide all the stuff here in the kitchen? How can we fit it all close enough that you can reach it right now and not to get far away from it? And I think there's kind of those parts where you hear, put things in convenient places, and that's useful. But let's be honest, it can't always be convenient. You're not going to be using that thing all the time, and you have to reach down to the bottom of the fridge to get it. Or if you're a bartender, the big one I have is you're going through your, like, your tray of glasses and suddenly you have to get to that last glass. It's back down there. Eventually, when you start restocking them, they're down there too. You have to get lower to get something in or you have to go and move a keg around. There's a lot of these positions that are going to happen at one point. I can't give you this. Don't do that because that's what restaurants are. 
So it's kind of more thinking, well, what can I do to help me in those situations? Yeah, that's outside of the equation, right? Where uh, when we as kinesiologists look at the health and safety, right? And you can look at trying to like edit the workspace, right? Like that's always like the best way in some ways, right? If we can remove the stressor altogether, we're best off. It's like what we learned in school together and that's something that I apply when I'm working um, in different kinds of industries, but that's not always going to work in restaurants and it's going to be highly contextual to the place that you are. Um, so then we have to look to the employee and how do we create the situations for employees to know how to protect themselves or how to set themselves up for success in their own ways to work for them. Oh, 100%. And the, what I was like, talking about being a kinesiologist in this case is if you're like a server or even you're working as a cook, you go to a restaurant, you say like experience has changed for you after you've done that. You're suddenly looking and saying, like, why is my food this? Oh, it's busy here. Or you're saying, it's not that busy. Why is my server standing over there next to the host and just not talking anything? Like, it changes your perception of going to a restaurant. Well, it turns out being a kinesiologist who also works in a restaurant changes that again. Suddenly, I see the bartender doing something like, oh, that's, that doesn't look great. Or I see a server carrying something I'm like, oh, yeah, we should, we should be changing that right there. It's... <laughs> It makes, my girlfriend does not love going out to dinner with me some days. <laughs> you know, it's funny. Every time I eat out, I try to sit facing a wall so that I don't have to watch it happen because I, I just like just can't help but think about it. Oh, see, I love it. It's just, <laughs> yeah. you're literally there. It's like, this is a dinner and a show. <laughs> That's true. Sometimes it is entertaining and like, depending on the place, right? Like sometimes it's a, it's a work of art, right? I love sometimes those over-concept kitchens where you get to watch it happen and, like, when you have, like, amazing people working, it's, like, it's an art form, right? So. Oh, 100%. You have that moment being where, like, every movement isn't wasted. I can tell you is, again, working in the restaurant industry six years, I look at a cook or a bartender who's working for 30 and realize on how little I know how every movement has a purpose and gets that part going. And I'm suddenly walking down the bar, not holding a glass in my hand to put away. I'm like, oh, man, missed it again. You suddenly watch them and you go, yeah, that's, that's how it's done. Um... Funny you, uh, well, you talk a lot about bartending because that's what you do. Yeah. Have you brought any edits for yourself to, like, your work day to help, you know, protect your own, uh, like, for repetitive strain or whatever it may be? Um, there is a lot of different things I can think of, but really the one that always comes to my mind when I really started realizing what I was doing with my body is talking about making a cocktail. Mm -hmm. Suddenly it's this position where I have to go down to the fridge to grab everything, pull it out. And you know what, sometimes I make my own separate ice well just to hold even more condiments and things like that that I have to make things with. But the big focus I really talked about actually is using a, a cocktail shaker. So the thing I think about with this one here is if you're at the gym and you're doing a push-up, people always talk about keeping your elbows in and not flying them out. And that's because you don't want to hurt your shoulder. And yet suddenly when I'm shaking a cocktail, my elbow is straight up to the side instead of in front of me. That movement right there is in itself just like a classic impingement patterning that you can start seeing and you're doing this with like a high amount of force you're doing it repetitively and it was never really considered to it and then i remember about three years ago i started having a shoulder pain at one point and that was after a bar shift and i looked at it and i was like well what's going on and well that was actually step number one was keep that elbow in when i'm shaking a cocktail step number two is kind of talking about that idea again of trying to reach down to get a glass and put it under a tray underneath the bar it's how am I getting down there? How am I reaching? How am I turning my shoulder to just try and make this fit somewhere? It's a huge part of what like, has changed in the restaurant for me is really just those little movements that we have for it. 
a bar rail is like built to help with ergonomics for the client. If you think of ever that little rail on the end of a bar where someone can put their foot up the brass rail of the English pub, that's designed because old men sitting at bars need to have a break while they're standing. Well, what am I saying? Sitting, standing. If it's an English bar, usually they're just standing at the bar. That rail so they can put their foot up, last longer standing, and drink for more. Literally, like, bars have designed things ergonomically for their patrons. Yeah. So we have to start taking a look at the design for us. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, it's totally that bar down below the bar. I've always wondered if that would be, like, ever a possible edit that you could bring into the workplace. I don't know if it's safe at all. Um, you know, it works when you have someone standing in place drinking at the bar. When somebody's moving fast, I don't know if it would actually work. But it's a great way to change the, um, like, how you're holding your structures, giving certain structures a rest, changing that body position. Um, and you see that in industry all the time. Um, when I was at, you know, like, classic, more, like, conveyor belt production line things and they have those to like put one foot up on and then switch and put the other foot up on and those sorts of things that like i'm seeing in like industry i don't know if you could actually apply it to a restaurant situation but maybe that's like some of the things where you have to start drinking and that's well the thing you can talk about is like if somebody saw a cook putting their shoes with whatever gets on the bottom of those shoes up onto one of their shelves i can tell you probably the other person looking at like what are you doing right there that's disgusting that's where food goes yeah. Those were containers that hold food goes. Yeah. So I get it. But the one I would say is like, again, we're designing things for our patrons. Why are we not thinking about what are those things that we can do to make those changes? Whether it be making sure that the, the keg room, you don't have to have it, that the keg has to be lifted up, up to that, that chest height level to try and get it to make more space. How are we pushing things that you don't have to reach over to things or bring a case of beer down from over your head? Like, I don't want I'm a decently fit guy, and I can do that one, but suddenly I work with someone else who is six inches shorter than me, and they're standing on a keg trying to pull a 2-4 down off of something. Like, It's the kind of consideration of how are we making our administrative tasks and building out those kind of procedures to make it easier for all shapes and all sizes. The most obvious position comes to mind is the bar back position, who's like going and possibly getting those kegs or those 2-4s because they're doing that physical heavy lifting, right? Um, I don't know if... I haven't been in a place that has a bar back for a long time, but I know places are doing that. I hear, like, having to literally carry a keg, like, up a flight of stairs because there's no dolly. And I'm like, just get a dolly and it would be so great, right? Like, something really simple, right? So to, like, get in front of things and try to look at the... Yeah, as you said, the administrative part of those tasks. But even, like, that going upstairs with a keg, I do, um, I do testing for a, a certain brewery and part of that testing is it's physical testing before they can get a job there. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that that testing is, for a delivery driver, is the hardest testing I do. And it's taking a dolly with a full keg up and down eight stairs. And I've never seen more people not succeed at something than doing that one there. And I can tell you when they're doing it, it doesn't look pretty. So to suddenly have it where a job requires someone to carry a keg up a tiny flight of stairs in the back basement of a bar somewhere, it's honestly terrifying just to think of yeah yeah i heard of that once because i know somebody who was working as a bear as a bar back and um brought that up and that was like years ago before i was a kinesiologist and i was like that seems a little suspect but i you know knowing how things work i'm not surprised right yeah. but that's a thing you know um for whatever reason that may be so did you find the edits you made like going back to that using the shaker um did you find that edit worked for you Actually, well. yeah, that yeah. one that one worked really well. The other one that I really noticed, so you can keep the elbow in front of the shaker, 
The other one is that when I was standing right in the, basically where our service area is and where I make the drinks, I would stand there with my knees locked out. So basically your knees pushing right backwards and then resting them against a rail that held all our, our well drinks. And I can tell you was after looking at that, it like, it seemed comfy at the time, but when I started learning more about it on how locking out those knees really starts to affect the back, starts to affect on how am I positioning the rest of my body and taking a small step backwards, bending my knees just a little bit to more of that neutral standing position instead of locking them out backwards. How much that changed just like on how my body could tolerate the shift. Yeah. How I could continue working through without having to worry about, oh man, how is my back going to feel in a couple of days if I was doing a bunch of closes or how my shoulders and neck were feeling just because on how I would start cranking it up, getting higher and higher as the night went on due to stress of a busy night or just because I'm carrying a tray and again, I'm keeping my elbow out. Usually people are smart enough to keep it in because that's the natural thing to do, but I have some people try to keep it out because it seems like it looks nicer. Yeah. You know, if you want to, I'm not going to say like rest it against your chest when you're doing it, but if you want to start cushioning your elbow into your hip when you're starting to put things down, yeah, that's a great call. Like support that, support that elbow, support that shoulder. Yeah, yeah, trays are a fun one, um, especially those big ones that go up on the shoulder, if you've ever had to... I have those. not had to carry those, but just thinking about it again is one of those ones that, like, <laughs> the amount of ways that can be done wrong is significant. Yeah, yeah, I've talked to a few... I, I don't see those trays so much these days. I think they're, like, something of the past. Don't quote me on that, but I don't see them often in restaurants these days. You only... Mostly only see them in banquet halls. But yeah, like, I was, you know, working through, like, how would you carry that better? You know, like, what training would you think about for the shoulder, the elbow, the wrist, and the back to get everything lined up in a way so that you're not, like, causing problems? And, yeah, that's a tough one to... We're talking about an overhead one like that, what I would do is our YouTube uh, kettlebell overhead press. Oh, yes. Because it's all that same kind of positioning. Elbow yep. in, locking the shoulder blade back, keeping that wrist nice and straight instead of having a really big back bend in it and that extension. Yeah. So suddenly having that nice firm grasp, that's what I'd be kind of looking at if I was trying to talk about an overhead carry like that. Yeah, and how you would train that, right? To get exactly. somebody strong enough to do it. Because, yeah, those trays aren't fun. And even not to say just strong enough to do it, but strong enough to be able to do it without having to compensate with the other parts of your body. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it trays are such an interesting thing to me. I guess I've thought about them a lot because when I used to... Work in the industry, I always found I would get a lot of tension through my wrist on the carrying side. I carried with my left hand, which was always a little opposite of everyone else in the industry, because I carried with my non-dominant hand, um, because I was more worried about putting things down wrong, <laughs> and I would, like, dump something on, like, an employee, so I would just, or, sorry, on a, on a guest, so I would, like, always have, like, the one that I'm putting stuff down with, I'd have more control, but I would definitely feel that tension through my hand, but I always saw some servers who can, like, carry it up above their head because they thought it would like look better and like um the amount of balance and proprioception control even within that task has always been just an impressive thing to me yes yeah. uh, kind of you know always just impressed me 100 when you see that one and actually no i'm also a lefty like i'm i write with my right but i hold trays with my left because i agree with you really you need it when you're starting to move you need to keep that as your stable place to start moving things off it with your right hand yeah Exactly. So, do you find, uh, I've seen a few articles in, like, the Globe and Mail, in the New York Times, talking about injuries in restaurant workplaces that, you know, they come up every couple of years, these articles, and talking about, you know, the industry needs to catch up, the industry needs to start looking at these types of solutions, but do you have any, uh, theories or ideas why it may have 
why these things aren't being really discussed and thought of because uh I, I find when I walk into the scene and be like, hey, let's talk about repetitive strain injuries, people are, like, really excited, and I'm surprised that, you know, this conversation hasn't come up yet. Yeah, well, 100%. Look at, for a lot of these companies that do it that aren't restaurants, and you start seeing this being brought up, you start seeing things like a union being addressing this one here. Or what we start to see is you'll start seeing a long-term disability one. The One of the dangers of restaurants is that very rarely do you have that full benefit package that if you get hurt and you go on to disability in some way, that someone is addressing these issues in that case. A lot of times you'll see a change in a workplace when someone comes in who's been either hurt in the workplace through WSIB, or you have them being coming back in the workplace already hurt because they're on a long-term disability claim. Those changes really start to influence on how the, like, the employer starts looking at their jobs. Yeah. With a restaurant, especially since these are a lot of workers that are either A, only in there for a couple of years, two to three years, or again, those long-term workers are still based on this usually lack of benefits, lack of just like even accountability to it. It's something you kind of get missing from that. Yeah. Yeah, I guess everything that I do and I talk about with Balance Life to benefit employers deals back to retention, right? Mm-hmm. Because the average restaurant employee only stays in the industry for 4.5 years. Um and with an industry that's based off of the performance of your employees and the talent level and the training level of your employees, you start to kind of see how we hit a wall as an industry, right? Because it's like, where are we going to get the people that can perform that well on such little training, right? And it's uh, it's something that I'm seeing, like, yeah, so I, everything comes back to that retention rate, but I just think it's interesting that the retention problem hasn't looked at that side of it. Right, because I see so many other environments that get in front of it, and so many other industries. But maybe it is the longevity, you know, that they're going to keep people around longer, and they just do. So those employers have to face that more. Cool. And I think you can talk about with a lot of these, I would say, like cheaper chain restaurants. One of the kind of ones that even I work at, where it's you have to build something on a procedure, is they sometimes lose that value in a really good employee, and they miss those parts to it. I remember the, one of the kitchen managers there for the longest time had back pain because well yeah he was a cook for over 25 years and there was more than one time I'd come into the office and I'd see him lying flat on the ground just on his back because he couldn't move because of how much pain there was in that one there and it's because I'm sure that when he, especially when he's younger in these places no one was considering yeah he's going to be here for the next 20-25 years but cooks like that are the ones that keep this restaurant afloat because you need managers you need strong cooks to be your day guys you need strong cooks to lead your night guys yeah and that's kind of essential and then for bartenders and all the parts to it i can tell you is having someone there who is i like to be talked around in my town as their second favorite bartender at this bar i work at and the only one who beats me by a mile and a half is a guy who's been working there for the last 15 years and i have people coming in from like said they were here five years ago and still remember him and we're back in town and thought i have to come visit him yeah and like he takes care of himself really greatly, but I'm sure there's so many more who haven't taken care of like that. And suddenly are like that gentleman who had that back pain are now out of the industry and really losing that big value and big talents. Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, a lot of people like, 
I don't, well, a lot of people end up in the industry because for whatever reason, right? And I, sometimes I say the industry chooses you and because of the systems that are already in place, right? And I think you can get away with being a rock star for a really long time, right? Like, and the thrill of that, right? You go in, you have this high intensity job. It's really fun. You kind of pull off magic, right? Because like what? You might serve like 400 people in a night if you're in a really big, busy place. Um you know, or 150 or whatever it may be, right? And you're going to, like, pull off something that's actually quite incredible with so many moving parts, you know, and that's amazing. You can live off that adrenaline for a really long time, but then eventually that energy to be able to, like, do that, sleep for six to eight hours and go back and do it again, eventually you're not going to be able to maintain that. No, I completely agree, actually. Um, Unlike when Aaron talks about his late night shifts, I absolutely adore them. Like yeah. <laughs> they were my lifeblood for many years. I remember I worked at a different restaurant where I was a board caller at a very very high volume um, bar and part of, part of an arena for a sports team. And the way that one would go would be was that we had so many shifts going through. At one point, I counted on a day, and I had three shifts through a hand a minute for three hours. It was like a place where you'd be making, you'd be doing $40,000 in sales in three hours. It was obscene, but to walk out of there and know you did a good job, you you felt like you were on top of the world. Yeah. But I looked at anyone who was I was working with in that kitchen or and then also my other bar who was over the age of 35 and it was always such a difficult part to see. And they had it just like, it was tough. They were tired all the time. They had it that there was pain in places and then as soon as one injury kind of happened, they were out. Suddenly they're out with their kids and they broke their hand doing something. You can't really serve that well with only one hand. You suddenly lost a lot of your livelihood. So yeah. yeah, that was a big thing for me to take a step away from the industry and kind of look at what are the choices that I had out there. Yeah. Yeah. What is out there and what do you do next? Right. And I think a lot of people who are in the industry long enough end up like opening their own places because that's the sort of the next step, right? Uh, after you make it to a certain point, right? When you're, you go up, you manage a place, and then you go, well, what do I do now? And yeah, a big part of that is you buy your own place, it always felt like. But the other thing being was like, because it's also, as you're getting older, your your body is your main commodity in the restaurant. Yeah. And as soon as you lose some parts of that one there, again, you have to lie down in the office after working for four hours. Or you can't grab anything because you have carpal tunnel. Well, it's tough in a restaurant because those things will suddenly take out your two most talented workers and they realize that. And they'll see other people like that and realize, what if that happens to me? Yeah. You don't feel that way at 20, but suddenly you're reaching 30 and you're looking at having a family and you're like, wow, that's, I can't make a mistake now. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, the stakes are higher, right? as you get maybe a little bit older or spend more time and you start being like, oh, hey, what's up here? And, um, you know, how long is the longevity of this career if we don't figure out how to manage that, right? And we don't figure out, like, talking about, like, warm-up and stretch routines, cool-down routines to, like, build recovery when you're not at work, um, you know? And looking at it as more of, like, a high-performance, like, almost like an athlete, right, in a lot of ways. Because, like, when I was you know, running around on the kitchen or restaurant kitchen floor as a server, like I was getting the same number of steps as I would do at a training day when I was on the ice, you know, and I was always surprised that there wasn't that same level of like care that we do with 
athletes. And it's obvious because athletes have to perform their best and they're talented people and that's sort of the thinking process. But I always wondered to me, I was like, I'm working just as hard over here. Why are none of us, everybody, they're like, oh, just deal with it, have fun, you know? And it's it's tough, right? It's really hard. Yeah, and especially when you look at other industries that kind of have similar things to it. Uh, you go and look at someone who works at a car manufacturing plant. They're stepping 30,000 steps over a day. Mm-hmm. But you know what? Like, there are injuries there, and the employers start noticing that. They suddenly institute rotations of stuff. They would say, go to a different job. Or in this case, if you're a server or a cook, it could be a change, a different kind of position. It could also be what they do with a lot of construction sites now. You get a construction site, a lot of the bigger ones now are talking about why do we, we have a warm-up beforehand. And if that means there's 30 gruff blue-collar guys that are in a parking lot moving around like they're in gym class from grade 9, then yeah, that's what it looks like. Like You see these industries making these changes that have this kind of same high demand as, as a restaurant, but again, yeah, they're usually, it feels like they're so far behind. Yeah. Yeah, and that's not like not to hate on the not to hate on the food service industry by any means because it does a lot of magical things. But I think it's it is yeah a lot of other industries have hit this wall and started to see these solutions around it. And I think that's why I want to wanted to do this and have these conversations to like start be start opening eyes to the idea that there's stuff out there. I think and there's a lot that we can do um, to get in front of things. By the way, doing stretch breaks with construction workers or like super blue collar workers are one of my favorite things to do. Um, it's just so much fun because like they'll usually have more fun than they think they're going to have. So it's always a good time. I always, it's one of my favorite things to do when I'm at the day job, doing some stretch breaks and all that good stuff. I love when a guy comes in who's injured from a workplace with me and then we get them better and send them back and they start calling out all their friends on the things. They're like, oh God, hey, you're doing something terrible. Like I've been, I've been looking at this and learning how to do it properly and like, oh man, that's terrible. And like, again, I've, even I've seen servers and managers come into my clinic too. Yeah. Like, um, you suddenly see that one of the big ones was, was back pain for one and shoulder pain for the other one. Yep. You think of a bartender at the end of the night or a manager who has to flip all those chairs. Like, well, what do you do in that situation? If suddenly rotating up hurts. Exactly. Right. Um, rotating up. Yeah. I always love the, the giant bar chairs you had to flip and just the way of them and the and the timing of that like it's actually like a really complex action to 100%. have to do right so you know and actually looking at that and thinking about that of how that works and how you could actually do that in maybe a safer way that preserves your body a little bit better at least know wearing to where to tighten your body to give yourself the most support you know um and it'd be one of those things i'm sure if you taught someone once they'd be able to do but you're never giving them training on how to flip a chair up onto a bar and then you have to flip like 80 chairs a night. Suddenly this makes it a whole entire different thing. You're doing that every day, five days a week for years. One training session could change that. Yeah. Right. It could, it could, we could do that. Uh, we can do that. I have hope, <laughs> but, uh, you, uh, you've been a bit of a team leader in restaurants in some ways. Um, and did you find that you were able to have any sort of uh, influence in any ways? Or did you attempt? Or was it just sort of on dead ears? Or uh, have you tried to have an influence in that way? Oh, 100%. One of the things is why I enjoy both my jobs is I'm, I'm a talker. I'm someone who likes to move about things. I was, when I was part of like my restaurant supervising team, I was part of the Joint Health and Safety Committee too, helping to implement all of these changes into things. But uh, a kind of discussion I have is you start talking to servers and you say, like, oh, yeah, like, what hurts? And 
if you, if you ask one, someone will probably have an answer. And if you ask 10 servers, I'm probably sure you're gonna get 10 different answers. So whether it be, I have a couple like go-to stretches that are my favorites, things that open up the shoulder blades a lot and help them move, things that I'd say, when you go home, just before you go to bed, take this out so that when you come back tomorrow, it's not gonna suck. Uh, a big discussion about that idea that we mentioned, which is like locking out of the knee when you're standing at tables for long periods of time, how to take that away. Because for most people, it feels like it, it feels better when they do it. It feels normal. And yet, when we look at it in a, in a kinetic way and biomechanically, it's not, it's not the best at all. We're basically stopping one of our joints from moving and all the other joints have to take that tension a lot more because of it. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Good old biomechanics. Yeah. But talking about an alley rally is a great way to start. Yeah. Then having it just even showing two or three movements, a uh, quick stretch that helps out with things. I would show something for your next muscles, like your levator scapulae, easily pulling down and looking down to your armpit and pulling your head down towards it. Great little stretch in itself. Show someone that who's been working on the line for five hours and say, just take a 15 second break and do that. Yeah. You'll actually feel some tension release. Yeah, and on top of, like, just the tension release and all the benefits, like, of that, it's also, like, if you were able to bring this in as a set thing with every shift, you would have a better headspace. Like, because you're telling your body, like, okay, we're going to work, this is what we do before work, we get ourselves in that mode to be ready to go for work, because sometimes, like, when I've worked at places, I remember we, like, as a team, were just, like, we all sucked one year, and we were having way more mistakes on the service side entering stuff in, and a manager said to us, like, you know, you have to really make sure that you're putting things in correctly and taking the time to do so. And I was literally the first order of the night and I messed it up <laughs> right after that talk. And But it was because it was the middle of summer. It was the first full summer. And we were dealing with a lot of new problems. We were dealing with a lot of new kinds of guests, new expectations. And as a team, we were burned out, right? And I kind of said that really sarcastically and flippantly that I was just like, well, we're really burnt out and that's why this is happening. Right. But that's sort of bringing these sort of solutions in, you know, to kind of have these discussions and have the space to be like, you know, to even check in with your body and be like, how do I feel today? Right. And people don't do that. Right. They just show up five minutes before their shift starts, you know, either in uniform or they put their uniform on, print out the specials or write them down and hit the first table and go. But is that really getting you ready for the next eight hours or 10 hours or 12 hours of what you're going to be doing in this really high intense environment? You know, when I worked as an athlete, we did warm ups, all that sort of stuff. Even when you go to the gym and work out for an hour, you'll warm up for like five, 10 minutes before you go and work out. But you'll do this really hard job for 12 hours and not do anything. It's well, even when you're talking about a restaurant, they, they talk about the management always talks about that idea of prepping your session beforehand, making sure that everything's set up. I, I actually know restaurants where you have to go and check everything in your section and then come talk to your team lead and say, hey, like my section's ready, let's go. Yeah. You can prep your section. Why not also prep your body? Yeah, exactly, right? You're meant to be there 10 minutes early. We've all heard the spiel. <laughs> right? It's you just mise en place for your body. That's all there is to it. It's mise en place for your body um, and bringing those solutions forward. Interesting. So cool. So uh, it just gets me so excited talking about all this stuff. But uh, do you think there's going to be a change in the restaurant industry moving forward? Like, do you think there's like this This is going to come to a certain point where we're all going to have to face it? 100%. Yeah. Um, I'm seeing industries everywhere right now where suddenly people are having, again, physical tests before people can go into it. 
ergonomic assessments in different, not just offices now, are starting to really increase. We're seeing a lot of people start talking about like going in and doing something called a physical demands analysis, and that has spread to so many different industries that I'm seeing. Yeah. Again, I, I mentioned earlier that I think the restaurant industry is a little bit behind in these kind of parts. No offense to it. But eventually, industry starts catching up. And it's when this starts becoming something that's not only just affordable and that it's like as not as much high cost as it used to be because it's so well widespread, but when you start realizing on how much cost you're, lo- you're like having to sink into making this health performance part going, yeah. training new staff, having it that you can't keep those like bartenders who have to go come back to go see them again that you start realizing that that cook that held down the grill for you for the last three years has to be trained again those realizations really start like kicking in when you also see everyone else learning on how to do this safely every industry yeah it's it's gonna be coming yeah it's gonna be coming and uh i know the statistic is for uh the average restaurant will spend one hundred and forty six thousand dollars a year on training and recruitment and every time you lose an employee, it costs you about $5,000, which the $5,000 number I can imagine, because particularly for service staff, they broke it down. It was Cornell University School of Hospitality, and they broke it down, and it was more on the getting that person up to speed. You can train them, but then also, like, that person having to, like, as a server, you kind of run your section as a business, right? You build your clientele, you get everyone on board, you learn the in the small ins and outs you couldn't learn other than working in the space and all that sort of stuff, and that has a cost. You know, gelling with the team, which can take time to do, all those things add up, right? So every time you lose a person, you know, there's five thousand dollars. That's actually the a ton of money. It's a ton of money, right? It's like it's so much money compared to the cost that it would be to bring in some of these programs. Congratulations for some restaurants. That's like a whole dinner shift just wiped. Wiped. Yeah, literally, right? Um you know, and, uh, yeah, $5,000, a whole dinner shift, right? Just gone because losing one person. Right. And that could be, and that depends on how good your, your recruiting is. Right. And how good your like, there's so many factors that are going to play into that. And the more, um, higher up they are in the industry, it might go up to like 7,000. Oh, hundred percent. Right. So there's always a cook shortage. There's always like good management and good bartender shortages. Yeah. Right. yeah, I could see why losing one of them is brutal. I work with a staff of five other bartenders. Losing one of them really changes my shifts, and I'm only part-time. Yeah. Suddenly, it triples until they finally get someone back up to speed, and that's like six months. Yeah, right? You know they can hold their own and do it, right? Like, yeah. And the whole team isn't going to be holding them up in the same way, right? Because like, what happens when you have a new server on? They serve with like a two-table section when like a good server could do seven easily or more you know so it yeah so those costs are astronomical and i think that's something that they're hidden costs you don't see them in the same way but they're there you just have to start thinking about it in that kind of way so uh but i have to ask getting a little away from this health and safety topic that we love to talk about as kinesiologists but what's your favorite part of your work day um my favorite part of the work day for me is as a bartender for a lot of time i'm just I behind the bar. I'm making things. But at a certain time of night, a lot of the servers are cut, and in my restaurant, it goes down to just myself. It's when all those people start being gone, I suddenly start to expand out into this whole entire place. And that's like when I feel my personality is really starting to shine because suddenly this is my house. This is my place. And 
you have it that you see your regulars, you see these people who are coming in for a good time. And I can tell you, it's my day-to-day life. I, I see people who are not at a good time. They're hurt, but they're trying to get better. So to suddenly have it that everyone here is having a great time, living it up, that's, that literally gives me energy. I can tell you it's my 9 p.m. bump is because I'm just happy to see all these people in here having a good time and glad to see me. Yeah. Glad to come out and enjoy their friends. Yeah. Yeah, I, it's the magic, right? That you got, you kind of get to help create, right? And that's kind of the best part about it, especially being part of the front of house team because you get to interact in that way and you get to facilitate something, right? They may not happen otherwise, yeah. you know? They may not even know you're there, but suddenly they're just happy there's a beer next to them or those wings showed up. And they're like, that's fantastic. But maybe it's also you share a glance with a patron across the bar and they start laughing because you know what they know and you know what they were thinking at that moment. Yep. And they suddenly have this reason on why they want to come back to your bar. Yeah. And even like sometimes like the idea, like how you said, like, you know, the beer disappears in front of them and that's like sort of the, the ghost serving. I've always liked to call it or self-serving where they get everything and they don't notice you're there. But then sometimes you have to occupy the space to be there because you're the, you're, you pull that whole evening together for them. So sometimes you have to be a character and conversational and connecting with people in that way. And it's so interesting every single table you go to it's going to be different you're going to have to analyze that within probably about 15 seconds and bring those needs forward right and that's like part of the magic that's part of the skill and part of the fun for or not fun depending on the situation that it is right and that's where the i think that maybe why a lot of people stick around in the industry yeah and that's you become a master of many masks yeah become a champion of being able to be like this group of six guys here, if I say shots right now, are they going to go for it? Is this couple sitting in this corner or even just sitting in the middle of the bar? Should I be basically ignoring them while they just have a lovely date? Yep. Mm-hmm. It's who do you have to be in that exact moment? It's, it's kind of one of the great things I love about the job. Yeah, right? So, cool. Awesome. That's excellent. That's excellent. So, I'm going to leave the conversation there for a moment. We're going to take a little break, and we're going to come back and talk about some crazy restaurant stories. Sound good? I got a couple. Awesome. We all have one, right? So, we'll be back in just a second. Hey, listeners. I just wanted to take a second to remind you about Balanced Life, the premier occupational health service that looks to improve health and performance in food service businesses. And I know in this episode, we were talking a lot about warm-ups and workplace positions and ergonomics and all sorts of stuff like that. And did you know that on my website, balancedlifeservices.ca, you can put your name and email at the bottom of that list on the first page and you will get my pre-shift warm-up routine sent to you for free pretty awesome right so just go there go to the bottom of the page and you will see all sorts of free resources but go put your email in and you will get that free guide sent to you it takes five minutes to do and it will get you feeling great before you start your work day let's get back to those crazy restaurant stories 
So we're back from that break, and now we're into the segment which I have not named yet, but it's crazy restaurant stories because we all have them, and I have a whole plethora of them, and I think that we may end up just calling this free therapy because you know you're just talking about <laughs> whatever uh, whatever things are giving you PTSD from your time in the restaurant industry. So you know it's so funny when we were talking just before about like dealing with different kinds of guests and how you react to them and bring a different character to them and stuff and I remembered that I had served a couple that actively went through a divorce while I was serving them so that was probably the most awkward night I've ever had uh, serving a table because like literally like it like happened really quietly she started crying he started crying they wouldn't leave they just kept going like they they kept ordering food like I guess maybe they didn't want to leave the space for some reason but it, it was a, it was a very awkward time for me as a server and I was just like this is happening uh okay I'm just gonna drop the stuff and leave yeah you just you write up the papers for them you go here you go folks yeah 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 <laughs> right be like and is there anything else you like this evening love uh I can't uh I don't think I can bring that uh I'm sorry uh so that's one thing that I remember one of my other favorite things I love about the restaurant industry that isn't a good thing, but I love it, is when you're serving people and your jokes don't land. <laughs> like, That's the awkward pause. Way. Like, ugh, the awkward pause is my favorite thing. And sometimes I was always really big about, like, trying to be a certain level of edgy that would, like, like almost how far can you play the line? And one of the more, like, innocent ones, I would say, was, like, it was Valentine's year and it was this family it was like two students uh kids coming back to university after reading week or sometime around that time of year and the parents were there and they said oh i said um what are you any plans for valentine's or whatever and i think we were trying to sell our valentine's dinner that we had that upcoming week right so i was talking about that any plans or anything and then i was like oh do you have any plans and they said we're watching horror movies, both the kids, like, really excitedly, like, we're watching horror movies on Valentine's, and I got really excited, because I'm a little bit of a weirdo in that way, and I was so excited, I just blurted out, that's amazing, I watched all the Saw movies over Christmas once, and, like, no one laughed, I thought it would be funny, but no one laughed, and then the mom just quietly says, and I thought you were a nice boy. <laughs> And it was, yeah, it was awkward the rest of the time, so, Yeah, that's you know. the moment where you're like, hey, would you like to take over this table for me? Yeah. <laughs> and actually, um, I, I had a story played, but the thing reminds me of was there was a manager I used to work with named Graham, and him and I would always, he was that manager to come and talk to you while you're talking to a table, but in like a social engaging way, and I remember one time I had a father-son sitting at a table, and I'm just talking with them, and Graham comes to me and goes, hey Ben, isn't it nice, a father and son out for dinner? Like, don't you always enjoy when that happened with you? And I was like, well... I never met my dad, Graham. He goes, oh, well, my dad's dead. They were standing there, and the son and the father were looking very, very concerned. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the kind of night you came out for tonight, folks. Yeah. Um, the thing I did want to talk about for my stories is on how I like how being a bartender, especially if people come in often enough, you suddenly start to feel like it could be friends, but in some ways also a little bit like either coworkers or family because you see them so often. I had a couple who literally had their first date at my bar and would come in all the time because it was right down the street and funny enough they got engaged at the bar 
Yeah, like the it was the same table and everything, and people were going, "Oh my god, how cheesy!" But it was it was a perfect thing for them, and I loved it. Gave them a cool shots on the house. Like, like I bought them myself and said, "Here you go." And then, funny enough, they came back in a week later and asked me, and I barked into their wedding. Like it was such a moment. Yeah, it was. I felt like a whole entire part of this romantic journey. Yeah. Um, but then there's the other times being where like they have couples like that, but then they break up, and then like maybe the girl shows up with a different guy, and you're like. You're not, Steve. You're so invested. I am. No, there is the moment where it, it comes up and I'm like, I'm judging this guy now because like, who does she think she is? Starting to see this guy or he'll come in with like another girl too. I'm like, wait a minute. What happened to Caitlin? I loved Caitlin. You guys are perfect. What's going on? I, I get emotionally invested in my tables and I will fully admit that one right there. Yeah. Have you ever served a wedding? I have bartended a wedding. You've yeah. bartended a wedding. Uh, that okay. exact wedding. Okay, was, cool. Cool. They they got married out at a house. It turns out um the president of my company that I work out during my day job was also the dad of one of the two of them. So it was a really great moment because it was like a national company. So they had a big tent and me and one of the other bartenders I work with every weekend bartended the wedding together. Nice. It was it was a really cool experience, I'm not gonna lie. Yeah. I that that gives me a little bit of PTSD. I served a wedding where I was friends with the bride and groom. They're like, oh, can you come in, serve the wedding, whatever. And they, like, found staff and everything. And I got there, and the person was using her property. So it was private property, so you can kind of do whatever you want, right? And um, and we were there, and we were getting set up and everything. But I found out, like, I arrived, and they were just like, here's your bar area. And it wasn't set up at all. And it was, like, two hours before guests arrive. So it was, like, not, like... They didn't give me any, like, time or heads up because no one knew what they were doing. Like Did they stock, at least? Yeah, but it was like, here's giant bags of ice with, like, bus bins and, like, get everything ready and stuff. But it was, like, not organized in a way See, to, that's, like, that's do my it life. Off. I, that is me every day. I would have loved that. I'm like, I can build this however I want. I pulled it off. It went, it went fine and everything. It was really funny. But I remember, like, it was, like like a giant Italian wedding and like the bride and groom were like no alcohol before the ceremony and people showed up at like one right and they're like no alcohol no one can drink before the ceremony and I was like okay cool but like big Italian family shows up and like some of the older ones were like pretty horrified they showed up and couldn't drink so like I had to find a middle ground so I gave them sangria yeah. I was like you can have sangria and just please don't tell anyone <laughs> yeah, no I, I get it that's like the moment a speech and Kathy wants her Caesar and like why are you trying to step away from me give me my Caesar right now it is a thing yep oh yeah so it was pretty funny I we got through that day I got paid well for it so it was a fun day but it was it was very funny like it was just like one of those days you know you never yeah. know right so the days you remember the days you remember right or the days you don't forget uh I don't know if I can think of any other stories right off the top of my head um okay um one of the ones when I was just work at I mentioned working at that sporting arena. My most touching moment from there was when one of the servers came back and told me I had to quiet down because I was yelling the order so loudly that it could be heard over the anthem. Well, you are that loud. I am that loud. And in the end, facing the pass, you were facing away from the cooks. So you had to speak loudly. I couldn't look away from the chipboard. So it was just that much. Like I was going forward and projecting enough for people to hear behind me. That was also a great place, though, because you always ran in with extra food at the end of the night. So like you got out at 11 p.m. and prime bar area and you're the guy walking around with like two pizzas you are literally pizza jesus like a drunk person comes in here i'm not eating this pizza you want a slice you have now just like saved and redeemed him he's come back from the dead it's true 
It's true. You can revive the alcohol-soaked bodies of people with pizza. And people will follow you because they want to see you giving pizza to other people. You gain a following right here. Right? Oh, that's 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 exactly it, right? So, oh my god, that's so funny. Okay, cool. I'm going to leave it at that for today because I, uh, I think that's sufficient pizza for stories. Pizza Jesus is the end of it? Yeah, let's okay. leave it at Pizza Jesus because like, you can't go up from there, right? <laughs> so, thank you so much for coming on as a guest today. It's been fun. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, maybe we'll see you on in the future. Who knows? And we'll go from there. Oh, sounds good. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Hell's Kitchen podcast. Now, if you want to contact me, my email is Aaron at balancelifeservices.ca. My Twitter is B underscore life underscore services. My Instagram is balanced underscore life underscore services. And don't forget to go join that Facebook group, Hell's Kitchen, where you can connect with all sorts of working food service professionals to find out what works for them what isn't working for them and find some people who maybe know how to help you have a better work day and remember if you want to be a guest on this podcast send me an email i'd love to chat with you see ya